0: Two, ready?
1: One. Hello and welcome to Say That, the podcast where your big questions get real answers. My name is Matt King. I'm your host here in the city of Chicago. Joining me here is Glenn Fitzgerald, the founder of Mission USA. A little
2: low on energy, but we're all here, so let's do it anyway.
1: Also joining us, the director of Mission
3: USA Productions, Jed Brewer. We're low on energy, but we're high on charm.
1: Are we? Are,
4: Are
1: we not? Eh, if you say it, maybe they'll believe it. Join us all the way from our church, Tennessee. One of the pastors of Christ Community Church, Lee Younger.
4: I'm eating Fritos, whatever. Wow.
1: I think you could describe a huge chunk of my 20s just with the emotional countenance of "I'm eating Fritos, whatever." We, it wasn't a. It wasn't a happy time. Is what I'm saying.
2: Me, let me tell you what. I think the world can probably be divided right down the middle by the people who know and deeply appreciate the concept of Mm Frito-Pie from -hmm. those who have no idea what that is Yep, and are lost in a world of darkness.
1: Uh, You know you're doing men from Texas when they hit the T in (laughs) (laughs) Frito-Pie. Well, that's all fantastic stuff. Very jovial beginning of the... The the show here, but gentlemen, things are dire. What? Oh. Things are problematic on the horizon. So much so, and you know, I hate to do this. I'm forced to declare an emergency. Okay. What? Wow. An emergency? Now, as you know, we're uh, we're we're gonna take over podcasting. Yeah. I mean, we're about 400 episodes in, and no one cares yet. But we're right. gonna get there.
2: We're gonna it, get there. It's
1: inevitable. We have a positive mindset.
2: Wait, you're you're saying we're gonna keep going? I thought this whole thing was to get you married. Now that you're married. uh... We'd go oh. ahead and
1: shut her down, well, it would answer people's questions now oh uh, well
2: that that's that that'd be something, yeah okay. it's
1: kinda like it's kind of like bootleggers who started off doing that, but then they just started once it got legal, they just set up legitimate shipping jobs like yeah. it all started as a grift, right, but now we're in so deep, we'll just do the thing, okay well, you know, we we got it some on sunday nights uh but i I was sent a link earlier that okay. uh television producer Dick Wolf. Whose name you may recognize from being hilarious and also <laughs> showing up at the end of your uh, f- probably Frito involved 2 p.m. on a Thursday during college Law and Order marathons that yeah. many people engage in. The executive producer of the Law and Order franchise is apparently getting into podcasting. Mm. That's a problem for us because yep. he brings a ready made audience and, you know, obviously famous people. Folks are going to want to be involved. And that's that's really going to hurt us, I think, in the podcast thing. So I, I see only one way forward, gentlemen. Okay. Now, obviously, we could try making a quality podcast that people like. Nah. But if the past eight years has proven anything, it's that we can't do that. Yes. Yeah. So he comes at our thing. I say, flanking maneuver. Let's go do his thing.
3: Whoa. Yeah. Yes. I I'm, love it.
1: I'm talking about law and order. Say that.
2: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Except for... We don't really represent a whole lot of raw, law and order, right? Like, if it was say that chaos and disorder, then that you'd be closer to it. Sure, that sounds right.
3: I, well, I think we can all be the rogue ones, right? I think I may have something. Ah, because the idea is we want to take the the gritty procedural drama that that approach of law and order, Certainly. yeah. But we want to do a shameless opportunistic Christian version of it, right? Yes. Sure. All right, so we put it in the world of ministry. Uh huh. And I think I've got it. Say That Presents Decent and in Order.
1: (laughs) Uh, Oh God. Yes.
2: Very Presbyterian.
3: Well, that's the thing. Then once the first one catches on, then we we launch the follow-up, the sequel, Say That Presents Decent and in Order Special Reformation Unit.
1: I like it. Wow.
3: Yeah. I like it.
1: Can
2: Ice tea be on that? Of course. Cuz isn't he on that one? Yeah, I, I on believe he is. SCU, yeah. I mean, you know, I don't want to be unkind, but I think he
3: could probably use the work. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, what I mean, yeah. how much can it cost? Well, I think we should look at which at one point famous rapper would we want on either decent and in an order, Coolio, or decent and in an order special reformation, C- unit. Coolio, Coolio,
2: yes, okay, so but he's got to get out. the hair back out. The way yes, it was before. It that's, yes, doesn't. I mean, let me tell you what, Coolio definitely needs to work.
3: Yes, yes, you
2: know what I mean. That's that's an act that it's not really going to stand the test of time.
3: Well, there is that. I mean,
2: I love it, but you know what I mean.
3: Well, here, here's my question, right, is, I mean, this is, the, the arc of every Law & Order show is exactly the same, mm. which is a person going about their normal life, and they find a dead body, right, right? Yeah. and then the cops get called, and that's literally every episode of Law & Order ever made. Right. Okay, so what is the inciting incident, so to speak, for Decent and in Order? Mm. What's the thing that happens at the beginning of every episode? So it's a person going through their normal life, and then, boom, and we get called in to solve it. hmm
1: well, I think we this depends on, and this is a larger we need, I think we need to set some terms here, is the function of this show, because we could kind of do a, a situation uh, switch through here, where we could either do there's a problem right, and then we got to come in as the, you know, the ministry police and solve it, right, or we could do kind of a, a internal affairs thing, okay, where problem pastor screws it up.
3: Oh, and then
1: we got to come in and be kind of the cleanup crew. Okay. So in that case, I think you start a lot of episodes in in office with someone saying something that is just real bad. Okay. Okay. Just like, Oh, yeah, yeah, then just ignore that sermon. That one wasn't for you. That's for the other <laughs> people. Oh, or kind of, you know, well, dude, marriage is hard. So maybe, yeah. <laughs> here's a book <laughs> oh there you go it's could the inciting incident just be as someone has a problem and instead of a conversation it's some woman christian just handing them a book and then we have to un- spend the next 50 minutes undoing the horrific damage that that comes with
3: oh yeah what you're
2: talking about is special dating police yeah yeah <laughs> Law
1: law and decent order, romantic intent.
0: Yes. Yes. (laughs) There's a lot of people
2: messing up dating, and we're going to get in there and fix it. Yeah. We're going to bring justice and, uh, you know, togetherness and righteousness down on this. You know what I mean? Yes. I feel like Glenn has never.
4: I feel like Glenn has never wanted anything more than to be able to bring statutes into the offenses on dating. Let me tell you what,
2: if there's a dating problem somewhere, I feel in my heart I ought to be able to get one of those magnetic things and you stick your hand out the window and put it on the roof Sure, and it's got the flashing lights. You know what I'm talking right. about. Yeah, yeah. Taking us
1: all the way back to Hill Street Blues here.
2: This is. I feel like should be able to do that. If, if, well, I feel like I should have that for whenever. Well, of course, yes. Yeah. You know what I mean. But if 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 somebody calls me up and says, "The guy that I'm dating said you know something, and it's really stupid," I should be able to just put you know the thing on the roof, sure. official right. business, right, and just tear through traffic. Yeah, yeah. So let's get that going.
3: Well, sure. we obviously want to do that, and that will be a part of the Romantic Intent franchise. Uh-huh. A couple questions. Yellow tape, you know. With the, oh, absolutely. Tape it off. You yeah. Know, yeah, Draw
2: the chalk on the ground. Yeah, whatever. date scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, so,
1: the yellow tape just has, will you calm down written on it?
3: <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, we're going to blend in some some non-Law and Order shows here for a second, but I, I think it'll be worth it. Sure. So... Your character, I mean, obviously he's he's gritty. Yeah. He's sure. gruff. Oh,
1: yeah. A real right? sip
3: of situation. There you go. There you go. Does he offer <laughs> witty one-liners that are relevant to the dating catastrophe that has taken place? Well, yeah. Wow. I mean,
2: yeah. He, you know, sounds like somebody did a something. One of yeah. those kind yeah. of, one of those right. witty lines. It's like, really, you know.
3: So, like, he's at the restaurant where dude royally screwed up, and you take off your sunglasses. Looks like somebody needs... A to go box.
4: Yeah, like, then, yeah. yeah, yeah, okay. That's, and then yeah, skillet
1: no. plays because we can't afford the who. <laughs> <laughs> That's
4: right.
1: The guitar solo is not as screechy <laughs> in the Christian version, Christian police procedural.
2: Yeah, I think. Well, what are the shows do this guy do? Dick
3: Wolf. Yeah, yeah. It's
1: like eight, eighteen different versions of Law and Order. He may have produced other things, but I think it's all that.
3: Yeah, I think they've done like a half dozen different versions at this point.
2: Well, now. Let me just throw this out there, because he's trying to horn in on our thing.
3: Yeah, that's right. We
2: got a sweet deal going We
3: own pod... We are podcasting. Okay.
2: Period. And and you know what? We're finally... You know what we're doing, fellas? We're getting traction in the marketplace. Mm -hmm. Sure.
1: In our stride.
2: I don't really know what that is. but No one it, does. It was excellent usage, though. I heard that, and I wrote it down, and I was waiting for the moment. You said it confidently. You know and what I mean? That's the part that matters. There's a guy
1: from San Francisco outside who wants to give Glenn $25 million. <laughs> just because he said, traction in the marketplace.
2: And here's, what, here's what it is. He's trying to horn in on our thing. Yeah. We got, no doubt. we got this dialed in, finally. Right. Where people are like, this is it. If I'm going to do a podcast, boom, start with say that. Yeah, And then the rest of them is, they're garbage. Yeah. Okay. So now here's what we're dealing with. He's trying to get in on our podcast scenario. Right. How about this? We do a podcast about him doing a podcast.
4: Whoa. Whoa. Now, See what I done. just
2: did there?
3: Yeah,
2: that now you because where are you going to listen to his schlubby podcast? No, you're going to listen to our podcast about him horning in on our podcast.
3: Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah, that's how you get in his brain. That's how you, you get in his brain.
2: Wow. And like, yeah, how about that, Dick Wolf?
1: <laughs> I like it. That's good, solid drama. It's kind of doing a behind the music, but beforehand, yeah, mm-hmm. like we're. We're documenting the drama as we're causing it. Yes. <laughs> right? You're like, next week, tune in when Dick Wolf's production company takes a tragic turn. <laughs> <laughs> also, we've got to get in this van with the hammers. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> we'll be on our way. Yeah, it'd be like sort
2: of a, a a like a reenactment, but like a reality show. Yeah. It's all in black and white. Yes. So you don't yes. have to pay for the color. Boom, yeah. we're saving money. That's money go. in our pockets right there
3: business genius. Absolutely. (laughs) I want want
1: one more alternative pitch here. Okay. So we got the lawnmower and I think one of the things we can do because we're reinventing the franchise in our own image here is boil it down to the essentials because as Jed points out you got you know there's a case that kicks off in the beginning and then every one of these has like. They're talking to the bartender who won't stop wiping things while yeah. the police are talking to him. <laughs> and the person, they remember like every person who came into this bar in Manhattan in the last.
3: Sure. I seen him.
1: Yeah. In the last 20 days, for some reason. <laughs>
3: um, You're talking
1: about the guy
3: that had that mole on his cheek. Yeah. Ordered a seven and seven. Lousy tipper. I remember.
1: Yeah. <laughs> you know, to, and to just nakedly quote the John Mulaney bit, you know, the the, the little drops of, you know did oh the woman oh yeah i remember her did she seem did she seem upset nah she seemed fine guy she was with didn't seem too happy all while unloading crates but then the, i think the real money scene if we're gonna boil this down to what it is is the interrogation scene
0: yeah you
1: got him in the room with the metal thing and you're, you're gonna give us the goods but how i think we can apply that to our thing is i think it's glenn with a transcript of the sermon this dude preached oh wow yeah, oh, yeah. and just like. Uh, pastor, when you said that we have to give money to this church because you want a good, uh, crown full of gems, but you don't get to keep the crown. Jesus sets it on fire. And that's kind of a thing. What'd you mean by that?
3: Yeah. And they yeah. just, you
1: know, they're like, can I call my Bishop? No, you can't call the Bishop. That, that doesn't apply here. Yeah. Just kind of, I like the idea of just going just, just line by line. Like, so these four paragraphs here represent this, this, uh, lacrosse analogy. You tried to <laughs> work into this. What, what was, what was your intent there?
2: Yeah. I like that, yeah. Kind of get him under a bare light bulb. Absolutely, and, you know, just inter- you get him in the interrogation room and just get him to break it down.
1: It's a little good cop, bad cop, just so much. I mean, it's heresy, and you know it's heresy. Like, just calm okay. down, Glenn. <laughs> just Calm down. I know you. I know you didn't mean it. He gets all worked up. I know you didn't mean it that way. Right. Just, yeah, talk yeah, to
2: yeah, me. We don't worry about him. You know, can't, uh, cool off, and I had to storm out into <laughs> yeah, the next that's room. Right. That's right. Here's what I'm going to tell you, fellas. I just, I am DB this guy. Okay. Okay. Turns out, he's responsible for a show called Chicago PD.
3: Oh, really? For real? Uh-oh. Yeah.
2: Okay.
1: They've ruined traffic on the west side many times.
2: They gotta be shooting some of that here. Oh, they are? They
1: they literally shoot are it by the bridge. They? Oh, I've, they? we've I've driven by it on the way home.
2: Well, you know what, fellas? Uh-oh.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I know the exact
2: right van load of guys. Some
1: shenanigans and chicanery. We can go over
2: and pay Mr. Dick Wolf a visit.
1: Yeah. Things are about to get authentic.
2: And that's, we're talking about podcast wars. Yep. Now there's your show.
1: It's on now. Yeah. Yeah, so before we say anything legally actionable in our, (laughs) I want to be clear about this, totally fictional plans to harass Dick Wolf, just in case he gets in some kind of traffic accident on the west side of Chicago, (laughs) I'm going to go ahead and declare emergency off. All right, well, that's
2: coming for you.
1: Well, there's that also. Um, the parody, parody, fair use. I don't think that's what that is, but I'm just saying all the legal terms <laughs> I know right now. am going to go ahead and tr- transition to the bridge box plug where there, there are no threats in the bridge box plug. Mostly. It's a place of joy and, and unity. <laughs> it's a place where in the month of November, which we are moving into here, we're talking about what to do when things keep getting worse. So a bit of a, a tough topic. One we looked at at our bridge service. Uh, Glenn and I preached on it. We got some great songs from some very talented friends and Bible studies and more all on a topic you get every month. MissionUSA.com slash bridgebox if you want to sign up for that. I'm going to jump to our first question here. If you have all the way to the end, I'll use some ways to get in touch this. Or you can scroll down in your episode description and click the links there. So our first question is that bridge box topic we uh we so we have the topic for bridge box and so we do all um the themed around we also preach on that and talk about it at our bridge service so this is the kind of expanded idea we talked about on that and it says people keep telling me to hang in there and have hope but what do you do when nothing changes and a lot of things just keep getting worse as it's really interesting question i was really uh it was kind of cool to see all the different ways the our four speakers on the night went with it. You'll hear Glenn and Mai's take on that. But Jed, I'd love to start off with you. Um, where would we start? It's a big uh big topic. It's has some bummery aspects too. I think there's there's a lot to learn here about how we should react and how we do react when we're not seeing the changes we want to see. I think we yeah. talk a lot on the show, a lot on what we do about about making those changes, about facilitating those changes. Yeah. But there's going to be – we were actually talking about it in the last episode. There's going to be some times where we're in some interim periods or some slogs. where that's not going. And what do we do in those times?
3: It's a great question. I think certainly for a person who's asking this question, we want to say we're sorry for what you're going through. And uh, tell me about it. You know, Tell me about how you're feeling. Let's get all that out. And we want to do that for a lot of reasons. One of them is when life gets really tough. One of the things that we need to help us move forward is precision. Precision's really, really important. It doesn't get talked about very often, but it's very hard to be precise when um, we haven't yet had a chance to vent our emotions. So we need to vent the emotions first so that we can be precise. Somebody says, you know, what do you do when nothing changes? Well, there aren't any situations in life where nothing changes. We need to be a bit more precise. Do you mean that there are specific things you care about and you are not seeing observable growth in those areas? That's not the same as nothing changes. Because life, uh, no one has a completely static life. Do you mean that there are things that you want to see improve that are getting worse? That's a different situation. It might sound almost nitpicky, but... Actually, the more detailed and the more precise that we can be about the situations we're facing, the better we can craft what to do about them, what to do with them. Uh, again, emotions cloud everything. And one of the ways in which they cloud things is they, they get us dealing with generalities. Uh, you know, how, what do you do when nothing changes and a lot of things are keep, keep getting worse? That's an almost impossible situation to respond to. Uh, because it's a highly general situation that's probably not true of your life. You can certainly feel like nothing. Well, I mean, put it this way. The the question contradicts itself. Nothing changes and also things are getting worse. Well, I, you'd have to pick one or the other. You actually, you can't have both. So we need to, to vent those emotions so that we can get to a place where we're able to be a lot more precise about what we're dealing with. And part of the reason that we need to do that is... Plotting a way forward is also going to involve a great deal of precision. One of the things that we're going to land on is there's stuff that you as a person can do something about, and there's stuff that you can't. Um, Right now, a person who's asking this question, uh, part of what they might have in mind, part of what's wearing on them might be the political realities of the world in which they live. That, That would certainly be reasonable. Turns out some of that you could do something about. Some of it you definitely cannot do anything about. And we can plot a course based on that. We reference this actually on the last episode, but it's it, it's worth reminding ourselves of again. It's very important. Uh, it's actually a prayer, but a principle in addiction recovery: the Serenity Prayer. God grant me the serenity to accept things I can't change, the courage to change things I can, the wisdom to know the difference. I think it's worth asking with the stuff that you're upset about, that could be politics, that could be relationships in your life, that could be your career, that could be your living situation. Do you know the difference between the things that you can do something about and the things that you can't? Because again, emotion as it gets heightened, which you come by very honestly, emotion's going to blur the lines on all of that uh it 's probably going to have you alternating between feeling like there 's absolutely nothing you could change there 's not a single thing you could do anything about versus you know what if I were to just get angry enough, I could probably change all of it in one fell swoop on the basis of my rage. When reality lies in between those two, reality is there are things that you definitely have an ability to affect. It might be slow. It might take time. It might require patience. And there's other stuff that you probably don't have a lot of ability to affect where we really need to focus more on some acceptance and some serenity and and going that route. But again, I think that we need to start by expressing those emotions so that we can set them aside so that we can be precise both about what we're facing and what the options before us actually are so we can chart a course to make some improvements.
1: I think it's a really, really strong point, a great place to start off, and Lee, I'd love to get you to pick us up there because, you know, Jed is talking about, and I think it's, it's a great point, that there's, there's no such thing as a totally static situation. Right. There's also very rarely such a thing as a totally negative situation. Yep. Everything's kind of a... Most things are a mix of, of good and bad. Now, without getting into too much of the idea of... We're, we're not talking about, you know, just that power positivity thing, but if we're in a place where we feel like everything's bad as nothing is changing... <laughs> Some of that can be fueled by what we're choosing to focus on what we're choosing to see. What are some, what are some small things, maybe practical things we can do to start to look at our situation a little differently and maybe see it from another angle.
4: Yeah. I I think that's a great setup. I, I, I'm, Completely agree with where Jed is starting us out on this, and and I would say not only exactly as you're saying, Matt. Not only is is there no such thing as a situation that never changes. There's no such thing as a as a situation where there's nothing good to focus on. Um, we have in any kind of situation, we get to choose the narrative. The the trouble for a lot of us is is that we have been raised in an environment where the narrative has been set for us. So the the whole time that we've been alive, the goal has been get amazing grades in school so that you can go to a great college, um, do great in that college so that you can get an awesome job where you'll make a lot of money. Make a lot of money so that you can buy a huge house so that you can have a better quote unquote, better life than the life your parents had before you, so that you can have this perfect kind of nuclear family and and be set up to have this, you know, six weeks of vacation in Turks and Caicos or whatever the situation is. We've had this huge narrative of what it would mean to have a successful life. What that means for a lot of us is that we've had really gigantic, unattainable goals for what a win is that becomes a huge problem because there are actually lots of little wins that we could claim and celebrate every single day the a lot of us were not kind of trained on this kind of mindset but there is a, a whole lot that we could do and enjoy and find a lot of satisfaction and pleasure in if we could actually kind of change our perception of what a victory is uh, what a win is if we could change yep. the narrative on what our goals are, set some small, achievable goals for every single day, all of a sudden, you're looking at a landscape where you're, getting, you're racking up five, six wins a day. And, and we're not talking about fake stuff. We're not talking about flattery or anything like that. We're talking about real, achievable goals. I'm going to get up. I'm going to um, I'm I'm going to make this breakfast. I'm going to get some exercise. I'm going to take a shower. I'm going to get dressed. I'm going to go to this job interview, or I'm going to go work my job. I'm going to get these things done. I'm going to accomplish you know this laundry or pay these bills. All of these things are small attainable goals that we could set aside time for, space for, and when we get them done, we can mark them off as done and celebrate those as wins. Those are wins. If we shop for the groceries and we make a meal plan for the week, and then we make that meal, and that whole thing went off, i mean that that's one of those things that this is it may feel like a small thing, but this is a win. these are that's a that's a series of of three or four victories in the week. I think that we have the tendency to look at certain kinds of lives as successful lives as certain kinds of achievements as acceptable achievements and what that does is it sets a scope where there's only there's there are only you know 10 12 successful people that any of us ever meet and the problem with that is is that we get stuck in this mindset that we are in a static life that means nothing whereas if we could set some small achievable goals if we could learn to reroute the way we think about victories and wins and, and rewrite the, the narrative on what it means to actually accomplish small goals that we could set, find some rhythm, some discipline, some, some small victories, all of a sudden we have a totally different outlook on what the scope and, and shape of our life is looking like.
1: That's all exactly right on. I think that's, that's fantastic stuff. And Glenn, where did you close us out on this idea?
2: Well, if people keep telling you to hang in there and have hope, uh, you need to tell them they suck at sympathy. Yep. That's, uh, uh, you also need to tell them that uh, ministry is more than just using Bible words. Hope is a good word. It's a Bible word. You can't just say it and expect it to work like a magic spell. Zeal. Yeah. No, that's not. Zeal. That's not doing anything that's zealous no that's you can change the tenses it doesn't uh yeah that's not uh that's not a thing but so you know it, i think part of the problem here is you have a certain amount of christians we talked about it before who don't know how to help you and so they kind of approach this as if helping you might be bad in some sort of way so just turn that <laughs> frown upside down and just be cool about it and just don't feel your feelings and so on and so forth so that's not helping uh let's be clear about that and and that may be a a picture of your problem that you you feel like you aren't really having someone who's giving you a good audience on that you know is really listening to you uh in in which case you need to start by finding that person, I wouldn't have a lot of a sense of hope in my life if no one would take the time to just sit and listen to me talk about it. Um, And and we need to talk about it because we need a clear-eyed assessment of what's going on here. Here's the thing about uh, having despair, which is what you're describing, a lack of hope. You're getting into some despair here. Okay, here's the thing about despair is what you feel in terms of that despair on the surface. When you go one layer down, can often be very different. You go one layer down from that; it may be completely different from that surface-level thing. They're all connected. One kind of unfolds into the other. But let's say um, someone uh, uh, goes through a bad breakup. They can come to me and they say, "You know, I'm I'm sad. I broke up. My world is just destroyed." Blah blah blah. It. I want to know what exactly makes you sad about that. I'm not going to judge it. I'm not going to evaluate it. I want to know. I want to explore it. What exactly? Well, I'm just sad about everything. Yeah. Wh- exactly. What? Is not something interesting is going to happen? They'll they'll start you know talking about it. But eventually, they might say something like, "You know, I just feel like a failure. Mm. Like I had this thing I was trying to accomplish and I failed at it." That's very interesting. It's very human, very real, very understandable, makes perfect sense. But even as you say it out loud, you recognize relationships aren't a project. It doesn't quite work that way. So you get in touch with how reasonable that feeling is, how unexamined that feeling was, and now that it is examined, how much it actually kind of doesn't fit. That's how we get out from underneath these things. That's huge progress. That's huge progress. So I want us to explore what is, I, in other words, it's not enough to say that it is bad. I'm not looking to to acknowledge that and dismiss it or move on or fix it. I want us to look at what is wrong about it, because that might solve most of the problems in and of itself. Uh, the The last thing I'd say on this is, if you're dealing with a really heavy amount of trauma, problems and struggles and, and what have you in your life, you have to know when to gain ground and when to hold ground. And shifting those gears between the two are very, very important. So, for example, I have a cousin uh, that has a really bad uh, migraines and he'll get them. And, you know, it, in getting him to describe it, you know, he's got pills that he can take and and they'll kick in and they'll reduce the pain. But he's kind of a zombie, you know, from the pills. So he just it's it's just lost time is the way he describes it. So you could look at that and say, okay, that's a day for holding ground. Then we're not going to gain a whole lot of ground. We're not going to get a whole lot of joy and happiness and ecstasy happening on this day. It's going to be kind of a sucky day but i can hold ground and when i say hold ground i mean not give in to despair not give in to grief not feeling sorry for myself not wallowing in things and that's really tempting in those moments so i want all of my effort into holding ground if you if you can do that what you find yourself uh, you sort of liberate yourself from the thinking I always have to gain ground. I'm if I'm not moving ahead I'm uh, you know whatever. Right. If you read Ephesians 6, it's talking about uh, you know putting on the whole armor of God. You, you know you you, you you shield of faith and guard with the truth and all this, you know, all, you know and you're fighting the battle and the devil's coming at you with the flame and arrows and all this you all the whole thing. But he says after you've done all this you you're doing this to stand. And in, in the he's described in the language he's using there is like a, a a military stand, meaning you you hold this ground. You're you you. This is my hill. I'm going to not let them take this hill, and I'm going to stand my ground and fight this battle. When when you reach a point where everything's really really bad, you have to say, "I'm going to make a stand." The moment that has a break in it, any kind of a break. Anytime you're ready to break out of that, you say, now I move ahead. So there's always that shifting gears between moving ahead and holding your ground.
1: That's absolutely right. That's all fantastic stuff from these guys. We're going to move on to our next question here. It comes in honestly and it says, I feel kind of intimidated by the Bible, not the spiritual part even, just that it's this huge book. I didn't grow up in church. I don't know where Zephaniah is. I don't know if Ephesians <laughs> is before Hebrews. Does that stuff even matter? And if so, where do I start? And a great question. And Lee, where do we kick off?
4: Yeah, this is really cool. I, I love a question like this. I-, I think that one thing that might be surprising to you is that there are tons of folks that grew up in church who feel the exact same way you do. Yeah. Um, that should be comforting. Because I think that there, there' for probably for a person who didn't grow up in church you're probably feeling like probably at church everybody learned all of this wrote and they all have it down and that makes me feel like an outsider I'm telling you man uh I, and and I purposely like for for our middle school uh Bible study and our and even our high school Bible study, what I do is i we go on like a you know kind of a, a book distributor and buy like these like paperback you know Bibles that are all the exact same kind, so that when when I say we're going to go, we're going to look at Galatians chapter 4 today, that's on page 824. And everybody can just turn to page 824 so nobody feels like they are some kind of failure at something that doesn't really matter. Um, That's important. Um, Sometimes church people put a lot of emphasis on certain things about biblical literacy that, let's be clear, mean nothing. Okay? There's a table of contents in that book. Everybody can look at it and find out what page, you know, Galatians is on and stuff like that. You don't have to have the books of the Bible memorized. So let's say that from the top. Um, another thing is I would say um, if you're trying to figure out like well, you know, h- how do I approach the Bible as a book, um, I would say don't try to master all of it. Don't try to feel like I've got to get all of this down to be frank there is a lot in there a lot um i would say that what we want to do is we want to have a good goal i when i approach the scriptures i want to be encouraged um i'm going to be completely honest my life is difficult and i am frustrated at times i am tired at times i am discouraged at times and i want to go to this book for encouragement there's a place in Romans Chapter Fifteen that says, "Everything that has been written has been written for your encouragement. That's what I want to go in there looking for I, I want to I, I want to find out what does this book say about who I am, how God feels about me, and what I can expect God to do for me. I want to have good goals. Um, one thing I will say is that there are a lot of great reading plans out there. If you have a, like, if you have a goal to say, like, I'd like to, I'd like to read the whole book. That's fine. It's a totally great goal. You could do that. Um, starting in January first, you could do that in one whole year at about fifteen minutes a day. In fact, there is a there are published podcasts where you could listen to the entire Bible in about. 12 to 15 minutes a day and listen to the entire thing from Genesis through the end of Revelation, and you could do the whole thing. If that was a goal that you have, go for it. You can do that. And it won't take a ton of investment daily. There are great audiobooks and different kind of styles. There's even an audiobook where people have gone through and read books of the Bible uh, across a like a downbeat like hip-hop track. It's just really, really cool. Uh, there's one on Spotify you can check out. There are also great commentaries if you're reading through some of the scriptures and you want to know, like, what does this mean? What's going on? I often recommend a book to people who are new to the Bible, which is by um, a, a, a Bible teacher who's called uh, Warren Weersby, And Warren Weersby wrote a book called With the Word. And um, this this is a book where um, he writes one kind of, like a one-page Synopsis of, and this is a crazy undertaking, but a one page synopsis of every single chapter in the Bible. So if you're like, I want to try to understand, you know, what the book of Galatians is about, go for it. Dive in there and read it. And then check out, you know, Warren Wearsby's With the Word. He's not going to cover everything, but he's going to give you a good kind of bird's eye view of what chapter three of Galatians is really talking about. Kind of a one-page Reader's Digest version. All that to say, there are a lot of resources out there, and we'd love to to help you kind of understand what are the resources that you could go to to accomplish your goals. What is it that you want to do? I think that's what we want to do is get a good goal and find out what are the resources that can help me achieve my goal. Don't try to master everything in that book. For me personally, when I go to the scriptures, I'm going to be perfectly frank. I'm reading the New Testament. (laughs) That's just the way it is at this point. At age 40, I'm going to the New Testament. I'm looking for encouragement. I want to find out what the Word says about me, and I want to learn something about Jesus, and I want to promise to help me get through my difficult day. If we have some good concrete goals, I think we'll find the Bible a whole lot more approachable.
1: I think mean, it really is a fantastic place to start this off. Glenn, I'd love to get to you here because what Lisa's is absolutely right is something that it has to be at the beginning of this conversation. If you're not going to master this whole book in one fell swoop, sure. Um, we, we would say off often say on the shelf for us, you're not going to master this book, period. So right, that's, right, that's, that's right. not a good goal. Now, one of the things about the Bible, different than other big books, particularly if you're someone who's you know been to done a lot of schooling, you may have read a textbook or started a novel or something like that, is the way you would do a textbook is you would master chapter one. If you're doing a math textbook, you you start with addition and you get that settled, and then maybe move on to multiplication, and then you know, bing bang boom, you do that enough times, and you're you know, differential equations are down the road of that. It's really different than the way we should approach the Bible, right? We're not looking to even master a part of it and then move on. We have a big picture thing and then more zoomed in things. But I think understanding how those relate might help us understand how we should go at this.
2: Well, absolutely right. Uh, And I think it's a great way to describe it because you have uh, basic stuff is very basic, very simple, very easy to understand. You can teach it to a Sunday school class of small kids. You have more advanced, more obscure type stuff that's in the Bible. Here's what you need to know. The basic stuff is the important stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. Amen. That's the important stuff. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son. That's important. It's also Super easy to understand, and it's the part you've already heard. Uh, The mentality of, I'm missing the important stuff because I don't know exactly where Zephaniah is in the Bible. That's where we're going wrong. The, The right way to look at it is that the obscure stuff only exists, really, to give color to the basic stuff, which is important. That's right. So, for example... It last uh, last question, we were talking about Ephesians 6, right? Okay, the The thing that I'm highlighting there is knowing when to stand your ground. The Bible says the devil's going to come at you. You have to be able to, to pick the ground that we, you will stand on and stand that ground, use the sword of truth and the shield of faith, and so on and so forth. Okay. I can tell you because I'm a super, super smart Bible person. Whoa! I'm the super smart Bible person you've been envious of your whole life.
3: Teach me, Raboni.
2: I mean, I'm not, but I'm just—I'll—I'll <laughs> I'll pretend I'm that guy. Here's the thing: I know that Ephesus is in modern day Turkey. I know it's Ooh. in the yeah, it's really amazing, right? I know that it's in the you know the the western side of modern day Turkey. I know that it was a Hellenistic, that is to say, a Greek uh, culture that existed there. I, can, I know that the Romans came in and took over and all that. I know they had a temple to Artemis that they were very proud of, and they had a lot, sort of a lot of civic pride going on with that. Now, how does that information change or help or enhance what I just told you about standing your ground in the—it does, it doesn't? But I knew all those obscure facts. Does that make me more Bible knowledgeable? Does that make me better in tune with what's going? No, it's just I know some obscure stuff about that stuff. It's every now and then you're going to get a little hint, a little nuance, a little bit of flavor to things, and that's nice. It's nice to know those little obscure facts. And you know, when when you've read the basic stuff over and over again, sometimes a little. Little different lens that you look at it through gives you a new look at it. That's that's good stuff, I suppose. But, um, uh, it the, the problem we have when we're trying to, to know it all and give it all equal importance and say these there, every single word of this is exactly as important for me to focus on as every other word in this. That's clearly not true. And Jesus says, Okay. You know, we, you strain out a gnat and you swallow a camel. There are small things, in, smaller themes that are mentioned in this Scripture. There are other big themes that are sort of all-encompassing, that sort of deal with all of life. I want you to look at those big themes, and I want you to get those right, and then we'll work our way down to these smaller types of things. Uh it, so it's intimidating, as you put it, to try and know all of that knowledge that you're just not going to get there. But it's encouraging along the lines of what Lee was saying there, when you think there's always something more that you can get out of that, that there is just an, an infinite well of resource that can speak into your life. The idea, I I experience this all the time, where I read a verse I've read 10,000 times, right. and there's something I didn't notice about that verse, because I glossed over it. Now, that's, that's a a problem, a deficiency that I have because I've read it before. I think I know everything there is to know about that. You reading it for the first time might be more likely to get something out of that verse than I would be. So I'm struggling against that knowledge in in a way to get the revelation out of it that you may already be getting. So I think we need to break down these these lines of you know super Christian and super Bible knowledge and and what that's actually doing.
1: That's a really really interesting point. And Jed, let me get you to close this out here. So I think the ideas that. Lee and Glenn have given us are spot on or exactly mm-hmm. going to get us to a better place in this. If we're going to look for a way to put those into action, I'm going to say, you know, today, as, as of today, I am unhappy with my biblical familiarity, let's say it tomorrow I'm going to start doing X. What would you say could be the one thing that person could do?
3: I think Lee already said it, and I think he's right on. I think doing a read the Bible in a year plan is a great idea. Um, And and I want to suggest that for a bunch of reasons. The first is there's a lot of stuff in life where taking the plunge is actually the right approach. Um, And this is kind of the Bible version of taking the plunge, you know, jump on in. Uh, An example in, in another train is, you know, there's a lot of people that lead worship in Christian environments, maybe at church or like a youth thing or whatnot. I think they would do a better job if they would start a band that played the secular environments. Like if they just played in a cover band that, you know, maybe played a street festival or something. Take the plunge and do it. You'll be glad that you did it. It will help you in these other things. Do you have to do it? No, you don't. But you you will be better if you take the plunge and you do that. And sure. I think it's similar in terms of Bible knowledge. Take the plunge. Read the whole Bible in a year. Yep. Uh, you'll be glad you did it. It will give you um, some broad context. But it's going to do something else, too, which is there is so much social weirdness in the church around Bible knowledge. And here's the thing is people have studied this uh, pretty extensively and pretty recently. Um, If you read the Bible in one year, uh, so maybe you start at Jan 1, 2020, and we get to Jan 1, uh, 2021. Here's where you'll find is that less than 10% of the people in the church have read more Bible than you have. Yeah. Only 9% of people in a given church have read the Bible more than once. And you will have read more Bible than 80% of the people in that church if you read the Bible one time through in the year. More than 80% of people in the church. And here's part of what I think you're likely to find and discover in that moment is, I'm glad I did it. Just like I think if you're leading worship and you start a little cover band and you play some tunes at, you know, BrotFest or whatnot, (laughs) I'm glad I did it. It's it's good. It it informs some things in a way that I wouldn't have thought it's also just not that big a deal. It's just and, and we should all relax on this. We we should we should all kind of let ourselves kind of dial down the tension a little bit. And hopefully what it will suggest to you, perhaps most importantly, is that Bible knowledge is not the end all and the be all of the Christian faith. Because it's if you asked people, like if you asked your pastor, is Bible knowledge the end-all and the be-all of the Christian faith, he'd say no, or she would say no. They would say no. But that doesn't mean that that's not secretly what we all kind of believe, right? Is, you know, if I knew more Bible, I'd probably just be better. You're going to get <laughs> to January 1st, 2021, you discover. No, nah, it didn't, it didn't like fix me. I mean, I'm glad I did it. It's, it's worth having done it. But there are other things that I need to work on. Like maybe yeah. my walk with the Lord and honesty and prayer and better fellowship with other Christians and figuring out how to serve and use the time and talents that I have. No, let the
1: word do the work. I don't <laughs> want to do the work.
3: <laughs> there, there are moments in life where I think it's good to not take people's words for it. And I think this is one of those things. I, I can tell you that those other things are going to have a much bigger impact on, on your walk. And I'm right about that. But I don't think you should take my word for it. I think you should read the Bible all the way through, so you've done it. You should take the plunge. You will discover you're glad you did it, but it didn't revolutionize your life, and then we can be glad we have the Bible knowledge, and we can focus with confidence on those other things.
1: That's absolutely right. That's a really great point. One, one thing I would tackle on the end here is this, there are aspects of this that can be what we, we would call both hands, not a, one way or the other. So I think uh, when your Bible plan is great, as, as Lee mentioned, there's a lot of great ways to do that. You can do it on a You can just buy the book that you can go to the Amazon or the Christian bookstore river. And that has where you literally just turn the page. One is Genesis one and Matthew one, and you just flip it, do it every day. You can look up a reading plan for yourself. You can do a daily audio Bible podcast. You can look up the reading plan and do your own audio Bible. Those are, those are widely available. So you can do that, That what you know, Glenn described me is with that kind of big overview thing and get exactly out of it what Jez described there. And you can also do some some smaller bits that are going to help you as well. There's memorizing verses, even knowing, if you're thinking, I, I, it's weird that I don't know, I, I don't feel good about not knowing where Ephesians and Hebrews is. There's, some, there's not a ton of books in the New Testament. There's 60-something books in the Bible overall, 20-something in the New Testament. You can get that. And you may think, well, that what would that even do? And I would feel weird because it's like a kindergarten thing. It may not do anything, but it may make you feel a little better about it. Yeah, that's that, right. that's definitely something. And memorizing a verse—if you know John three sixteen—you've now memorized a Bible verse. You can move on that's to right. to Romans eight one. You can move on to Hebrews twelve one. You can you can memorize a little verse here and there. That that's super cool and useful to do too. And that part of I think the thing you're going to push through in general here is that I feel silly not knowing something. Yeah. And for all uh, along with all the practical stuff that he's giving you that uh, approaching the Bible and the way they've talked about is going to help your walk. One of the things really going to help it is you're going to have to be childlike. That's in the Bible. Jesus talks about that being good. So that may mean, a little song that other people learned when they were five, but you're not picking it up till you're 20. Cause that's when you got saved. That's fine. And you know, we have the pool house guru does for us uh, a lot of Bible memorization tracks over the years. If you have those in bridge box, that's great. If you, if you don't have them email, say that podcast, at gmail.com, we'll get you some copies of those. And just not knowing a little verse, our friend Randall Goodgame, who does a lot of great children's music has uh, done whole albums of just singing kind of Bible verses. And he's got whole songs that are just, here's the, books of the old Testament and the new Testament in order to a catchy little song. You can put those in your, in your phone. You can listen to that and you'll, you'll know something about the Bible. You will know what it says and what, uh, Jed says you, uh, in the way Jed was describing there and all that's gonna, it will feel silly. It will feel a little like you should be beyond this, but that's kind of the main feeling you're going to have to let go of to move on into this thing. That idea of, well, I should know this. That's where all the, uh, there's a shame element here. I'm picking up in this question. And that's where, that's where the intimidation comes from is I should be past this. So I'm just going to not look at it. We would surely say, don't do that. Look at that. Do all those little things that may feel silly. And there's going to be some fun in there and some great stuff. And Jed, one more thing on this.
3: The one more thing that I would add that I think is an advantage and goes right along with everything else we're saying is if you read through the entire Bible, you're going to start realizing very quickly like, there are nerds at your church who are like nerds about religious stuff, and they like to use fancy words a lot. I'm just prophesying here. Hey, hi. You're going to discover that most of the stuff they like to talk about is not actually in the Bible. Hello. Um, and they the stuff that they want to argue about and, and that kind of thing, it's not in there. And that doesn't mean that it's anti-Bible, and that doesn't mean that the Bible doesn't imply those things, but it does mean that we're adding an awful lot of layers onto stuff that um, people like to equate with Scripture, but it's good for you to know what actually is and isn't in that book.
1: And, Jed, are you you saying that Jesus doesn't directly address eschatology in a Neoplatonist framework?
3: I am definitely suggesting that very strongly.
1: Well, that's shocking. I'm going to to check that out for myself. Meanwhile, we'll move on to our final question here. It comes in and honestly, it (laughs) says, how do I deal with discouragement? Sometimes I feel so tired of trying to start my life over, and I get discouraged. I'm not trying to give up, but I just feel tired. And Glenn, where would we kick off with this?
2: Well, I want to... Discouragement's an interesting thing, because that... I think it's going we're going to discover that it's hiding some things behind it. Uh, most often with discouragement we're dealing uh with a combination of really unrealistic expectations and it's important to discover where our expectations are out of line with reality you know just th- this is not something i should expect of myself it's not Something I should expect of of my abilities to handle this and so on and so forth. It's really easy for us to get an unrealistic view of what it is that we're able to handle, what we're able to accomplish and and so forth. Uh the second thing I think we're often going to find with discouragement is a wounded pride. Mm. And uh it's it's I think it's tough for us to admit that we have a prideful attitude about ourselves or the situation or whatever it is. Uh, And I think sometimes that kind of adds up to this guy said this, it hurt my feelings, or this guy said this, and it made me feel insecure. And so we're sort of not really diagnosing that as a pride problem. But here's the thing we can build up an image of ourselves. I see this a lot with Christians where it is claim your victory, be victorious. You are victorious. Name your child Victor. It's, this is what we're doing here. (laughs) And then think something, anything eventually because of life goes wrong and there's no ability to handle this. This was unforeseen. That's different from someone who says, look, I've messed up many times before. I know this isn't my last screw-up, but I'm going to give it uh, everything I've got. I'm going to try and do this thing right. I'm going to make some mistakes, but then I'll learn from that, and then I'll keep going, and I'll learn from that, and then I'll keep going. And it's all progress. Every step I'm taking is a step of progress. Hmm. Are there failures within that? Sure, but that's just how you learn i'm i'm learning this is learning is progress uh so if i look at it that way um i think you know uh uh tired of starting my life over i hear this a lot you know i feel like i'm i i feel like i'm back where i was before you know i got i had a job and then i got laid off and then i got the job again and i got laid off again so I'm back where I started, you know, this kind of thing. Or I had to go back to school because I the, the job wasn't working, and I, I'm back to where I started from. But it's a, I don't like this mentality because it kind of goes back to the previous question where we were looking at, this idea of, you know, everything changes. It's not the same situation. You're not back where you were before. You can be in the same place accomplishment-wise, you know, to have... Tried to accomplish something and then you didn't, so now you're at a place of not accomplishment. But you can't be in the same place knowledge wise. You're mm-hmm. you're smarter than you were the last time. So you're ahead of where you were last time. Uh, but we can get to a place where we worship accomplishment. And therefore, if we're not accomplishing, we feel like I'm not I'm not a person, I'm not valid. I don't I am not succeeding. I am a failure. Uh, learning is the is the key. Learning's what how you're going to succeed. If you've learned off of the last go around, you're ahead of where you were last time. Final point on this. Um when you're going through a time of discouragement, mourning is good. To to mourn your losses is good. It's important to do that. It's it's necessary. You have to process these feelings. But mourning uh being in a state of mourning is draining. It will it will tire you out really quickly it, it's one of the weirdest things about mourning but it 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 just saps your energy so when we look at mourning when we're looking at um dealing with a, a, a sorrow and a dis- discouragement we want to take that in shifts we're going to do that we're going to process this for the next hour of this conversation with this person or this next 30 minutes of prayer or whatever it is then i'm going to put that back in the box and i'm going to put it back on the shelf I'll deal with the rest of that later so that I'm not draining my energy level down because if I drain my energy level down, I can't overcome these things. So there's processing. So we're talking about shifting these gears back and forth like we were talking about in our previous question. Knowing when to do that, I think, is a big key to success.
1: I mean, you're absolutely right. That's all very, very good stuff on that. Lee, where would we take it from here?
4: Well, you know, the thing that I would say maybe most importantly for me on this is you don't need to do this by yourself. And what that's going to mean for you is taking having the courage to intentionally go after the kind of support that you need. One thing that I've learned kind of in being in different roles of support for people who are going through a, a time of discouragement is it's really, really helpful uh, and I'm just going to speak on the behalf of the people who will be on your support team. It's really helpful for you to be specific about what you need. Um, you know, sometimes people can get a little freaked out if you're like, I'm just, I'm just going through a, an unspecific time of total discouragement, and I need you to be my only best friend through this entire thing. Well, that's a little bit intimidating. Um, but if the thing is, hey, on Monday afternoon, I have to drop my kid off at this place and then I'm going to be alone for a few hours. And that typically is a time of discouragement for me. It's a low point of the week. Do you think that we could hang for a little while during that time where I typically would anticipate that I will be experiencing some, uh, you know, a, a low spell? Well, that is specific. That's workable. And yes, I would love to be on your support team in that capacity. Um, if we can be um, have the courage to ask for support, be uh, have the vulnerability and humility to be honest about what we need, and to be specific about what those expectations are. I love where Glenn started this, is that a lot of discouragement comes from disappointed expectations. If we can be really have a lot of clarity about the kind of thing that we think would help in the situation then a support team is something that you that could really really change the the landscape of what you're looking at um if you've got some folks around you who know what you're going through who care about you who are praying for you and walking beside you and if you have the kind of relationship with them where you have the understanding that I'm going to tell you specifically what I need so that you don't think you're on the hook to completely save my life at all times around the clock or whatever, but I'm going to give you some specific requests to hang out or to run support in these specific ways. Well, now we're looking at a way to walk through this discouragement with some intentionality, with with some clarity and good communication in a way that that people who are running support for you can provide the kind of companionship and fellowship and friendship that you need without feeling this kind of fear of, am I the only thing keeping you going? Um, so I, I think having a support team is a critical thing, but having the kind of, uh, of clarity and intentionality to, to be really specific about what you need and when is the kind of thing that can, that can give some longevity to your support team.
1: That's an excellent point. A really, really important aspect of this whole thing. And Jed, let's let's look at one more aspect of this on our, on our way out, and that's the person saying, which I totally understand. I'm not trying to give up, but I just feel tired. Yeah. Um, I think we can. And uh, we talked. About, I, just, I talked about this in a previous episode. That idea that Christians often get, and we all get to some extent of, if I was doing the right thing, I would just be have endless reserves of everything I needed yep. to do that right thing. And that can really mess up the way we think about feeling tired.
3: Yep. Can't it? No, it's, it's absolutely true. If you're working hard, you will be tired at the end of that. There's no way around that. And if we take it out of the spiritual realm, we, we all know that, you know, champion athletes at the end of a game or a match or whatever they do, they're exhausted. And no one thinks that's because they're doing a bad job. That's just, that's the nature of the thing um anybody who whether it's mental work or physical work anybody who works a long day and is going at it they're tired at the end of that you know and, and no one's saying well that's cuz you that's cuz you did a bad job that's why you're tired it it's only when we start to look at spiritual stuff that we get our expectations to go back to where Glenn started us on this question completely out of whack Um, But the Bible is actually not uh, confused about this at all. The Old Testament and New Testament, both. um, One of my favorite stories in the Bible is about the prophet Elijah, who's just had some unbelievable victories, amazing things have happened. And his next move is to tell God, you should just take me home because everything sucks and is terrible and I hate everything. Um, And what's interesting is... When God shows up, he doesn't say, you know, why don't you turn that frown upside down? He says, the journey is too much for you. Why don't you have a, a nap and a snack? Um, that That is God's response. So saith the Lord. So saith the Lord. Similarly, um, uh, Jesus often withdrew to lonely places to rest and to be alone. Um, We have a story of Jesus apparently being so tired that he's sleeping through a storm at sea where all of his compatriots are freaking out. That's not easy to do. I suppose you could try and make a point of like, he was intentionally in a deep sleep, so they'd have to wake him up so the story would work out. It's also possible that dude was tuckered. I think that's a better reading of that story. Well, if Elijah, the prophet of the Lord gets tired and the literal son of God gets tired, I think you're allowed to get tired too, but we need to acknowledge that there's a cultural expectation of, um, Christians aren't supposed to acknowledge when they're worn out. Christians aren't supposed to acknowledge when they are tired. And that is nonsense. Uh, that's, that's a deeply unhealthy impulse and deeply unhealthy instinct. And that's how you wind up actually burned out in a, in a truly bad and hard to manage way. If you're working hard, you're going to get tired. Full stop. Almost nothing in life is harder than trying to make changes. You say you're trying to start your life over. That's about changing things. That is really hard. It's tiring to maintain a steady state. It is tiring. It is so much harder to make any kind of change because if you're like me, everything in your brain is screaming, don't change, don't change, don't change, don't change, leave it as it is. Don't change, don't change. So you're doing whatever the change is. Plus you're dealing with your own thoughts and emotions and whatnot. If you're working to make changes in your life in any way, Hey, we're proud of you. Even if you're not doing a great job with it, we're still proud of you. Not doing a great job is how you start. And it's part of the journey to doing a good job. We're proud of you. God is proud of you. Have a snack, take a nap, deal with it again tomorrow. That's our advice. We love you.
1: It absolutely is our advice. If you have a question, say that podcast at gmail.com, thebridgechicago.tumblr.com. We mentioned our friend, Randall Goodgame, who makes some amazing music to help folks learn about the Bible. He also helped us out a couple years ago with a song based on a DL Moody quote. We'll take out that. It's called Canons on a Lighthouse. Thanks for listening. Just remember, we love you. God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it. To say that podcast,
2: leading the world of podcasting with our podcast about Dick Wolf's podcast. Yeah. Until he wow. puts out a podcast <laughs> about our podcast, about his podcast.
0: You don't put cannons on a lighthouse. No, cause you don't need noise for me to know you shine. Oh, you shine. Don't put cannons on a lighthouse, no, cause we don't need noise for us to know they shine. Oh, they shine. You're a city on a hill, so when need cannons on a lighthouse no cause you don't need noise for us to know they shine they just shine you don't put cannons on a lighthouse no cause we see it all and then we know you shine oh you shine